being programmed to chill a show about business crime parapolitics and esoterica with your host jimmy fallon gong we haven't got to the epa yet yes so that is uh i think one major topic on the horizon for us I don't know if you want to bring this up, but I know we're recording. But um, the other mm-hmm. thing is, I realize, like, so in the movie, when e- Egon says, you know, it, it could be past life experience intruding mm-hmm. on present time, it actually, or it says erased memories stored in the, yeah, Egon says it could be erased memories stored in the collective unconscious in a draft. He says, or erase memory, R A C E. Which I was like, what? Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know, like, how to fit that back in there. But if it comes up, yeah, just, I guess, keep it in mind. It seems like kind of a important. There's another, there, when they hire Winston, Ray, Dan Aggroy tells Winston, oh, you're black. And he's like, yep. <laughs> and he's like, well, it's just that certain, like, black people respond better to certain types of entities. Also, weird that got cut out of the movie peter arrives at interesting paranormal race science to clarify wendy that was cut from the ghostbusters movie the the line about black people right because <laughs> yeah that that yeah. was cut like when you know how i said winston um has this whole resume like that mm-hmm. that was one of the things that was cut out but yeah i hadn't seen that before okay i think we had been riffing about Winston's career and even exploring the possibility of Wing Chun and like Camp Cobra (laughs) and I think that's about where we stopped so the very last thing we talked about was was Winston and he gets Mm -hmm. hired okay okay well so Winston gets hired they've already talked to Dana so they, so I said like Dana goes into the Ghostbusters office and says I need help and they hook her up to like a brain monitoring contraption. So so right so when they hire Winston, the other thing in the in an earlier draft, Ray says you're black, and then I guess explains that certain forms of vapors, particularly later types of cyclical roamers whatever that is respond better to black people um and the other thing that was cut out that i thought was interesting ray tells him tells winston we locate ghosts and spirits we trap them with streams of concentrated concentrated quantum energy um and then winston says tell me what you really do so Mm. I think with Winston's background, he he has some, he believes maybe they're doing something else as well. Um, Interesting idea when paired relatively closely to the Larry King remarks. Right, yes. Um, Exactly. Um, So Ray shows Winston how to, how to use the containment trap. Also cut out of the movie is that there is like this viewfinder you can look in. <laughs> of course, Dan Eckhart, you can look in and see these spirits. Um, oh, like and, a seer stone or a peeping stone or something. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. And, it, 
and you can look inside and it's described as an unholy makeshift asylum. Uh, there's just all these wisps of light and like kind of materialized looking people and they're just kind of all stuck in there together and apparently it's an, an unholy makeshift asylum. So can imagine it was getting pretty crowded in the in the containment unit. So there's kind of like this random scene, but he run Peter Venkman runs into Dana and she's like coming out of a rehearsal. Um, she's an orchestra and she asks him, you know, do you have any info on my case? And this is when it's explained. Peter explains that they found the name Zool and Zool was a demigod worshipped around 6000 BC. He was, I say he, but Zool was worshipped by the Hittites. Hittites, Mesopotamians, and Sumerians. Zul was the minion of Gozer, um, and Gozer was big in Sumeria. So the voice that Dana heard in her refrigerator, Zul, is basically like the uh, pet of another god named Gozer. Uh, them were worshipped um, so in this like hierarchy of gods that uh, Ghostbuster sets up, Zool is the minion of Gozer. So Gozer, it's interesting, Gozer the Destructor, the name Gozer um, existed before Ghostbusters. Dan Aykroyd says he got it from two different things. There was a Gozer Chevrolet in upstate New York, and then Gozer was part of this famous case in London in 1977, the Enfield Poltergeist case. Mm. And I guess there was a, uh, it had all the parapsychologists were rushing there and studying it. And they sent in a medium. And during a seance, the medium says, like, Gozer, Gozer, and starts like saying this name. Um, Dan Aykroyd said, during this particular haunting, the name Gozer appeared mysteriously throughout the house, which I didn't find anything that said that, but that's what Dan Aykroyd said. It's, he says Gozer was written on the walls. So we figured we'll, we might as well take an actual occurrence and use it as our main demon and supernatural force. So if you ever wonder where Gozer came from. So while, while Dan, Dana, or I'm sorry, well, <laughs> Bill Murray Venkman is talking to Dana. Like, he's not at the office, but um, Walter, a guy named Walter Peck from the Environmental Protection Agency shows up. Oh, actually, yeah, Venkman is back at the office. And he, he wants to see the storage facility where the ghosts are. Um, to assess for possible environmental impacts, like the presence of noxious, possibly hazardous waste chemicals. He demands to see it, but Vinkman won't let him and basically tells him to come back with a court order. Um, in the meantime, as that's happening, Egon is in the basement looking at the containment unit, and he's freaking out because he says all the recent data says something big is on the horizon. And that's when he gives the the Twinkie, the famous Twinkie explanation. Um, do either of you want to say, talk about the Twinkie explanation or should I just... You mean like uh, like the uh, San Francisco Twinkie defense type of thing? 
<laughs> no, no, no. So, so the way. <laughs> that was like interesting idea, but I didn't think of that. So Egon's down there and he's explaining mm. to. So he says he holds up this Twinkie. Egon holds up this Twinkie and he says, this Twinkie represents the normal amount of psychokinetic energy in the New York area. Um, and this morning sample indicates that the Twinkie would be 35 feet long and weigh 600 pounds. Um, and so this kind of like a famous line from the movie, uh, but Ramus about that says, we were delighted with the notion that the script could be so out there and still have a scientific and parapsychological plausibility from a physics point of view. Dan was Dan Aykroyd was always talking about things like holes in the reality envelope. I didn't think an audience would understand that. So we came up with the Twinkie analogy to explain. Which like, does not like explain anything any better, honestly. <laughs> no, it was funny like that he calls it scientific plausibility. I mean, yeah, so so that happens. So Egon's just saying, uh, psychokinetic energy is like uh, taking over New York City um, so now we see the building um, Dana's building and there's this like temple structure on the roof it's immense and there's these two dog like kind of gargoyles but really dogs uh, on top of it um they're dog-like animal, fully the size of a man, each with a flat, triangular, almost serpentine head. And they're called the terror dogs. So I'm just going to refer to these dogs as the terror dogs. The, light, the lightning strikes the building and the, these terror dog statues kind of start to crumble. Um, and, and so we see they're kind of coming alive. In the meantime, Dana's inside her apartment. And uh, she's she's sitting on the chair, and these arms come out from under the chair, from the sides of the chair. I think maybe from over the chair. Um, these like hairy, weird-looking arms. They grab her. They cover her mouth. Uh, they hold her. They come up from between her legs. It was kind of a very suggestive uh, scene as well. Uh, and they're basically holding her down. Um, and and the chair kind of just like spins off uh, out the door into the kitchen, which is where now there's this portal. Um, the uh, so as that just happened, Lewis, the neighbor, the accountant—I don't know if we introduced him or not yet. I, I think we did. He's having a party. This. Did we talk about Lewis? Did I? I don't think him? I don't think we actually did. I mean, it's isn't it Rick Moranis? Yeah, it's Rick Moranis. Maybe Rick we Moranis. did. I kind of remember that. He uh, he's like this nerdy kind of a uh, accountant guy that's always always trying to get Dana to hang out with him, and he's he's weird. He dresses in like velour <laughs> tracksuits and like uh, but he's he's having this party and he. And he wanted her to come and the party's at this point in full swing and the song in the background is burn baby burn and mm. this terror terror dog like um it, it was in the bedroom hiding i guess and it's now the statue has become fully animated 
and uh, it kind of runs through the party and it's chasing after Lewis. Um, and he runs out, he runs out of the building, like all the guests are freaking out, screaming, one jumps out a window, I guess, uh, which I never noticed before. Um, but this, this terror dog is chasing Lewis, chases him into Central Park, um, up to this restaurant, goes through Central Park, up to this restaurant called Tavern on the Green. And uh, you see Lewis like banging uh, on the on the glass on the window. Help me! Uh, he's being chased by this. He he believes it's a dog, and you see him kind of like slouch down. Like the dog attacks him, but from the inside, the people can't see the dog. It's invisible, but Lewis can see the dog. But it basically gets into him it possesses him uh it overtakes him and possesses him uh the people in the restaurant they're they're very wealthy they don't care they just watch this happen and then they start talking like nothing like this guy didn't just i mean i i guess maybe it's new york city they just can't but anyways it's notable because they can't see the dog um so now lewis is possessed by whatever is inside this dog and he's he's going through Central Park. He's making his way, I think, back to the building. And he passes the USS Maine National Monument. And he's he's saying, I am the key master. The destructor will come. The traveler, the destructor. So now he's identifying himself as the key master. Um, I, and, he's, and he's looking for the gatekeeper. And I think it's interesting that he passes the USS Maine National Monument, um, which was put there by William Randolph Hearst. As mm. he's as he's looking for, we hear of the gatekeeper. It's, it's I don't know. I mean, it's just a coincidence, but he's like passing the statue that was built <laughs> by Hearst as he's saying gatekeeper. Yeah, like... I'm thinking about the various implications, right? And for the listeners yeah. who don't know off the top of their head, the USS Maine was the one that sank, that sort of provoked the Spanish-American War. Right. May or may not have been a false flag or just an accident that was weaponized or something. But, uh, like, I'm just sort of free associating here. But, like, for me, one thing that the Maine represents is, like, when U.S. imperialism really went like uh, to that next level, you know, mm -hmm. and it did it through yellow journalism, of which Hearst was like literally involved with, right? Yep, right, right. Um, As to how this relates to ghosts, I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that it does either. I just was like, oh my god, yeah. that's so weird that we first hear of Gatekeeper, like right around the statue this is a bit uh a bit of a digression but um the uh the sort of like yellow journalism imperialism of, of the hearst press in particular around the uss maine um does involve uh phantoms namely phantom airships um oh. the uh phantom airship flap of 18 um mm. the uh eight um kind of coincided with uh, the buildup of tensions um, uh, in the lead up to the Spanish-American War, because the U.S. had been trying to buy Cuba um, from Spain, and Spain had refused. Um, and so there's a, a, you can sort of read the phantom airship flap as as like a construction of 
the yellow journalism industry as part of like a, uh, you know, could be an early version of a UFO disinfo campaign. Um, wow. And um, uh, uh, that, that's that's my reading of of the Phantom Airship Flap. For, for listeners, if, if they're not familiar, um, that was a uh, what is often cited by UFOlogists as one of the like his, historical examples of a phenomenon that um, was actually whatever UFOs are supposed to be, but people seeing um, near future technology versions of um you know uh, what a flying contraption would be like um well before heavier than air flight was supposed to have occurred across the united states um and a lot of the uh newspaper article uh, descriptions of um people who were supposedly either the patent holders for these uh claimed airships that people were seeing um or or their legal representatives as was often the case you would have people two or three degrees removed claiming things in print um they would often mention that these airships were going to be used by the U.S. government uh, to drop, for example, dynamite on Havana uh, or uh, to, to aid uh, the, uh, you know, the rebellion against Spanish rule in Havana. Um, so there was very direct references to, to that conflict um, in the press. Oh, that's really interesting. And Dan Aykroyd, that seems like something Dan Aykroyd would possibly have been familiar with if it involves anything. The airship part, yeah. Right. Yeah. Huh. Um, so he so he passes the statue. He he approaches this white stagecoach horse, the stagecoach and the horse, and he and he identifies himself. He says, I am Vince Clortho, keymaster of Gozer. And then he says, like Volgus Zilderhar, Lord of the Sabulia. Are you the gatekeeper? He's asking this horse, are you the gatekeeper? He says, wait for the sign and our prisoner will be released. Um, like telling the horse and the, the guy, the coachman is like, what are you doing? Um, and you want to ride? And Vince Lewis, Vince slash Lewis, because now Lewis is Vince. Um, he says, you will perish in flames as soon as I find the gatekeeper. Um, in an earlier draft, Egon explains that Sibulia are a lost pre-Sumerian society that worshipped an ancient demonic spirit named Gozer, but they disappeared without a trace. They just vanished. Uh, so they're like yeah, a disappearing society. Uh, so police pick up, there's like a bunch of deleted scenes that show how the police get Lewis slash Vince, but it's not important. They pick up the police pick him up and bring him to the Ghostbusters office in a straitjacket. And they say, we just picked up this perp and we don't know what to do with him. Bellevue Hospital refused him and we don't really want to put him in the lockup. Um I meanwhile Lewis is it, it, the police are talking to Egon. Lewis is asking Egon, are you the gatekeeper? Are you the gatekeeper? Egon scans him with the PKE meter and it surges and he says, bring him in. Uh, he, he tells Janine, I don't think this thing is human. Um, and Egon asks Lewis his name again. He says, Vince Clortho, key master of Gozer. In an earlier draft, Egon says, I am creature of earth, doctor of physics, graduate of MIT. Uh, so Egon basically he hooks Lewis up to what's like a brain, it's basically a brain scanning device. Um, so right now, Lewis, um, 
the key master, Egan's hooking him up to this <laughs> brain scan. Um, it's explained in the uh, novelization. Thousands of wires ran from it to the arch archetype transliterator into a color TV. And the image that appears is not a, of a human brain or a human in this TV. It's a it's a dog. Um, it's a dog. It's the terror dog. So the brain scans picking up on a dog headed creature. Um, he he inter Egon interrogates him in earlier drafts. The interrogation is a little bit more detailed. He gives him polygraphs, runs blood tests in the in in the drafts. Um, but Vince, he says you you're saying that you were waiting for a sign. What's the sign? <laughs> and and this is where Lewis says, and he's saying the sign he's waiting for. He says, Gozer the Traveler. He will come in one of the pre-chosen forms. Um, and then he mentions two earlier uh, appearances of Gozer. He says, during the rectification of the Voldrani, the Traveler, Gozer, came as a large and moving torb. Then, during the third reconciliation of the last of the Maketric supplicants, they ch they chose a new form for him, that of a giant slore. Many shubs and zools knew what it was to be roasted in the depths of a slore that day, I can tell you. Um, I, I'm just <laughs> laughing because we, yeah, we have this inside joke about the Maketric supplicants in the group chat. I don't <laughs> So none of those pertain to anything that, uh, right? Like they're not like references to anything as far as we know. Not that I could find. Um, and that's one thing like it was, I wanted to, I started to look into ancient Sumerian gods and goddesses on like trying to find any possible links. But uh, <laughs> as of today, I, I had not found any. Um, yeah. So look luckily I do have a little bit about that, but not pertaining oh. to those lines specifically. Oh, okay. Um should we wait until I guess the Yeah, I, yeah, I think okay. so. The only other thing I would flag, and I don't know if we I don't remember if we brought this up um and when we, we recorded previously, but the uh the recurring dog motif here. Yeah um, specifically. Uh being a big they, they don't think I don't think they use the word serious at all in the movie or, or Wendy, correct nope. me if I'm wrong, that's in any of the, yeah, the, the, um, the stricken lines, but um, that's something that, that Aykroyd in particular has got to be aware of, especially in the eighties when that stuff was like getting popular, like the, the serious mythology. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That was like, I somehow my whole life, I had never read the Stargate conspiracy until right at the last minute, like right before we were about to record, I read it in a day. Um, and I was like, Oh wow. Cause with the pyramids it connects to what we see at the end of the movie um yeah yeah the dog-headed gods yeah um and of course you know i have the whole like uh let him wear the wolf head in aberration so when i saw there were dog-headed things i was like i never made that connection before yeah very Anubis like and so forth. Yeah. Um 
so Peter arrives at Dana's. He's he had like set up a, a kind of date with her to go over her case, but it's kind of like a date, but kind of like it's also supposed to be pro professionally him explaining her, her case or where they're at with it. Um, and he arrives there just as police are taking statements from the guests at Lewis's party. Um, and she answers, she answers the door, he knocks on her door, she answers, she's all sexed up. She's just like got this flowy dress on and like wild hair and just um looks flush. Um and she keeps asking if he's the key master. And he asks her name, and she says, I am Zool, I am the gatekeeper. We must prepare for the coming of Gozer the Destructor. And she like goes into her bedroom and she starts writhing and making uh, sexual advances at him. She says, take me now, sub-creature. <laughs> and <laughs> can I just interject and say, now that yeah. I've been voted Venkman, I feel like I need <laughs> to defend his actions here. And I want to point out that although it's not chill to keep pursuing her it i do note that he respects consent here and not sleeping with her as he knows she's clearly possessed apparently yeah yeah he 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 does do that uh, to his credit and he uh he does seem to legitimately have feelings for her he's just yeah weird about uh, communicating it <laughs> uh yeah she, she he's actually yeah he's fending off her advances she, i don't want to have to say this but she says i want you inside me at which point he says it sounds like you've already got two people in there already it could be a little crowded um, yeah. which is yeah which is interesting right because mpd um yeah she's got other people in there um he it's, at this point he tries to hypnotize her and he's telling relax he's saying i want to talk to dana um and she responds there is no dana there is only zool and he says i'm going to count to three and if i can't talk to dana there's going to be trouble and as he's counting her eyes are rolling up in the back of her head and fluttering and she screams out zool um and then she starts levitating and he's asking her, please come down. But she's just levitating. In an earlier draft, he was able to talk to her and like reach Dana inside. And and she tells him she's having a psychotic break and goes to sleep on his command. But that doesn't make it into the movie. We just know he hypnotizes her. Um, we see him asleep on her bed and panting. And Peter has his jacket off and his sleeves rolled up to his elbow. And he's and he calls Egon and he's and he's telling, he's like, I just showed up at Dana's and she's claiming she's so named Zool. This is what you were thinking of. He says, I just whacked her up with about 300 cc's of Thorzine. Mm, the fact that so, he would even have that on a date in the first place, right? That's yeah, that's what's weird. Like, why did you have Thorzine? I think in the later canons, it's explained that. She, she had it in her apartment for hiccups but that's still weird <laughs> oh yeah okay so thorzine um it's used to treat psychotic disorders but also i guess could used to be to treat adhd can be used for for anxiety it can be used for hiccups but in 1957 the journal of clinical and experimental hypnosis which by the way jolly west was like a 
editor of at some point. Uh, it talks about the clinical uses um, of drugs to induce and terminate hypnotic states. And Thorazine is, is one of these drugs. Yeah, it's it comes up in the literature almost as much as sodium pentothal. Right. It's always something they're always mentioning, like a cocktail. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's just one of those weird, like, things that appear in Ghostbusters. Yeah, he he gave her Thorazine. Um, I don't know if you already mentioned this, Jimmy, but um, wasn't there a huge stash of, among other drugs, uh, Thorazine found at Jonestown? Why, yes, hmm. Reed, there was. <laughs> Many types of psychotics and antipsychotics. It, there's oh, another question that actually you just saying that because you know then it's like well where did the they get all the those drugs on the through what route but then that makes me wonder like well why Peter's not a doctor he's not a psychiatrist he how does he even have access to the war scene mm -hmm. um, yeah what did they. <laughs> Did they use it? How did they use the Thorazine in Jonestown? I guess. Well, supposedly it was like uh, just as part of their medical clinic, but like any normal like agricultural project would have like I assume mostly like anti-malarial stuff, not a gigantic store of uh, basically like what's the term psychiatric drugs. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, um, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna move on. It's he, yeah. he calls Egon and he, and he, and he says he just whacked her up with the Thorazine and she's okay for now. Um, and, and Egon's like, well, I have, I happen to have the key master over here. And uh, they decide, let's keep them apart. It could be dangerous to get the key master and the gatekeeper together. But now we have both pieces that are needed to like finish this movie. Um, Dana's been possessed by Zool. And Lewis, her neighbor, has been possessed by uh, Vince Clortho. Um, when, when Peter is talking to Egon, in an earlier draft, he's talking about how she thinks she's someone named Zool. Um, there, David Livingstone's website. I believe, I believe you said you're friends with him. I don't know at some point, or maybe I'm wrong. This, Which of us? You maybe? Like I had hmm. showed you this website. Maybe he. I'll send you a link, but it like goes on and on about uh you know it, there's a lot um poorich in there there's a lot about sri stargate stuff um I, neither of you know the what, what what website was it i need you uh i need to find it because actually oh my goodness I'll, let me get back to you on that. Um, okay. When I see a, when I see a hyperlink in my notes for it, it'll be the easiest way uh, rather than going through. Oh, my history. Um, 
but anyways, he, his commentary, he writes that Ackroyd definitely believes like mediums can communicate with the dead. This is a quote there that I guess the Dan Ackroyd said, there are some people who can go into a trance and give themselves up and be controlled and speak as this being, as the spirit entity. Um, and he talks about how some victims of the demonic or supernatural assaults um, have been through warlike trauma, um, which can result in a state of psychic compromised immunity, making them vulnerable to spirit possession. So there's, he, Ackroyd does seem to be aware of like a link between trauma making you susceptible to spirit possession, but as we also know, trauma makes you susceptible to splintering and yeah like interestingly like the like if like if we say that like the average person who's like not super noited would be like okay well like the splintering and fracturing of like a multiple like a dissociative identity disorder that's the real version and the possession part is like fake quote unquote exactly yeah but but it manifests in ways that look like possession. It like literally does. Like I've read, you know, Dr. Colin A. Ross's book on freaking MPD DID. And it's like, it clinically looks like demonic possession as to whether you think that's real or not. That's how it is manifesting. Yeah. How it, how it, how it presents. Yeah. I mean, so so that's interesting there so in one alternate reading of ghostbusters maybe dana and lewis are possessed maybe they have mpd uh just a structured dissociation um in another in earlier drafts these ones are closer to the original and Ackroyd wrote um by himself dana is an interdimensional alien masquerading as a beautiful woman or alternately in a, in a second draft a beautiful woman possessed by an interdimensional alien so she wasn't the key master gatekeeper thing kind of came later in this in the script um it originally it was aliens actually so so um, as this is happening winston and ray are driving and uh winston asks do you remember if he remembers something in the bible about the last days and the dead rising from the grave and that ray recites a verse in revelation he actually gets the verse number wrong but the the verses and you can either keep this or maybe overlay it with the audio, but it's, and I looked and he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became as black as sackcloth and the moon became as blood and the seas boiled and the sky fell. And they, there's, they both say judge it's judgment day. And Ray says all ancient, all religions have a myth about the end of the world. And Winston says, well, has it ever occurred to you that maybe the reason that we've been so busy is because the dead have been rising from the grave um and that verse like in in ghostbusters afterlife it's on a sign leading into egon's property like this remote <laughs> oklahoma farm and it's also tattooed on ray's 
uh, left wrist in in Afterlife, which I just found out. I don't know how I didn't know this, but there's going to be a sequel to Afterlife. It should be coming out at the end of this year, hmm. apparently. Um, okay, so Walter Peck from the EPA now goes back to the Ghostbusters headquarters, and this time he has he has warrants. And he waves around these papers and he has cease and desist all commerce order, seizure of premises and chattel, ban on the use of public utilities for non-licensed waste handlers, and a federal entry and inspection order. So they have to let them in and they go down in the basement and Egon's running, still running tests on, on Lewis slash Vince. Um, Peck points at the containment system and he says, I want everything shut off. He warns him, he says, turning off this machine would be extremely hazardous. He says, and Peck says, you're facing federal prosecution for at least half a dozen environmental violations. Egon is just pleading with him. It's a high voltage laser containment system. Turning it off would be like dropping a bomb on the city. And Peck says, I'm not as stupid as the people you built. Um, and he basically enforces, he makes the cops enforce enforce the order to shut it off and the uh, utilities guy that's there. So, so as he shuts it off, uh, Egon knows this thing's about to blow up. So he, Egon, Peter, and Janine, and Lewis kind of head upstairs. And as soon as this devices shut down you hear this like electrical hum um several alarms go off like a red light starts blinking um the building rumbles the bricks actually start to pop out of the building um and on the top of the roof these streams of what's a blinding light which you could call pk energy um just like start pouring out of the top of the building, uh, which still is the ghosts escaping from the containment unit. Um, and as L Lewis gets kind of like caught up, they're outside, he's like caught up in the commotion or he gets lost in the commotion. And uh, he says, this is the sign, this is the sign we've been waiting for. In the meantime, Peck orders um, the Ghostbusters arrested. And this is the only time you really see Egon have much emotion. He lunges at Peck and he says, your mother. And that's when like <laughs> the movie I maybe kind of climaxes the song that I love, Magic, starts playing. And you see all these ghosts uh, that have been captured by the Ghostbusters released.
And in one of the, what I think one of the coolest scenes of the movie, I watched the scene like <laughs> several times trying to figure out the, the, the direction. Um, I even got printed out maps and stuff. Trying to these This PK energy is going from the Ghostbusters headquarters into, into Manhattan uh, to where Dana lives. It's making its way there. As it's making its way there, there's a montage, but um Let's see. You see Dana as this is happening. Dana is in bed, and she suddenly jolts awake, like she's hooked up. She knows. <sighs> I can't. I'm having a hard time today. Um, she gets up. She looks out her living room window, and she sees these disembodied, like PK stream spirits coming, coming through Lower Manhattan, and um, the main the stream turns into two main streams. And it comes up from behind the Twin Towers, and it looks like, I printed this, it looks like it's coming out of the Twin Towers at one point. Mm. You know, if you if you stop it at one point, it's, it's just kind of spooky. Um, which, speaking of the Twin Towers, in Ghostbusters 2, there's a deleted scene where they go to investigate a case in Building 7, <laughs> and it's this businessman and he's on the phone yelling about Donald Trump and uh mm. apparently he's like uh, he can start fires he's pyrokinetic um but it's just weird that they go into building 7 but so that's the interesting that building 7 would be discussing yeah. Donald Trump right right and also yeah, why not? I don't know why Building Seven. Why not the main towers? Yeah, and then the Don and actually Donald Trump <laughs> is brought up twice in the Ghostbusters two film. Um, he he's like compared to Stalin. Actually, um, there. Let me see. I have the page number here. World Trade Center. Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> So they're talking to the mayor again. Like, this is we're jumping into Ghostbusters too, but just on the Donald Trump thing, uh, Ray is trying to explain to the mayor that in every great social breakdown, there's been some evil power mad nutball ready to capitalize on it. And then he says, this one just happens to have been dead for 300 years. He says, and Spangler or Egon says, this happened before Nero and Caligula, Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, 
and then Bankman says uh, George Steinbrenner, Donald Trump. Um, hmm. so, so I don't know. That's and I mean, might I might I just emphasize yeah, that yeah. Spangler, the character, is saying that, uh, and Spangler, like Oswald Spangler, obviously wrote about the decline of civilizations, right? Right. You guys, I think, know a little bit more about him, yeah, than mm. me, but. Um, according to now, we talked about how Egon um, is also seems to have been based on uh, Russell Targ from the remote viewing SRI stuff. But according to I believe it was yeah Ramus, he also said he's based on Oswald Spangler. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything we need to? I mean that's the gist of it. I I am not super familiar with like Spangler's life, so I only know the high level like connection there. What about you, Reed? Yeah, all I'm I'm comfortable adding, um, and, and I don't want to um, don't don't mark me as a Spangler apologist by any means, but he was not. Uh-huh. Uh, 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 he, he was. I don't know if he himself denounced the Nazis, but he his. Um, version of um uh, a race um to like collective identity was not a was not a racial one um uh, uh in the way that the nazis was um it was more like uh, uh cultural historical groups um not to say that it wasn't totally you know um, chauvinistic or anything um but there's a there's a distinction there um but um uh yeah i'm not uh i'm not familiar enough to really say more um, just that it's not quite the same thing as like um, yeah Spengler enjoyed by Nazis but not himself a Nazi to be sure yeah definitely on on the uh, the, the reading list for, for how you get there these days yes when I was reading the Wikipedia on him I, be- I remember thinking what I was reading sounded like Huntington like the de- you know the decline of western civilization type I don't know if I'm misremembering that, but yeah. No, I think it's like largely similar cloth. Um, which is actually I had to read Huntington in in school. I was I hated it. Uh, so so as this montage of the go- the ghosts are like escaping and they're moving they're moving through New York City, making you know they're just it's chaos. Um. Meanwhile, Lewis is like also making his way back to Dana's building. He walks past a subway tunnel entrance and ghosts fly up from the tunnel um, entrance. And there's a sign in the background that says fight back. Um, And I I believe it's like some kind of possibly crime hotline or something but it's just it's it's very prominent sign that's always kind of stuck out to me i i can't really riff on it but it's there um so pk is flowing out you see it enter a cab oh yeah yeah. quick question no it just occurred to me as you said that the guardian angels in new york city (laughs) (laughs) they were like mainly like a subway thing weren't they kind of 
Yeah, and you know what? They make an appearance in one of the drafts. I don't know if it's Ghostbusters 1 or 2, but they encounter one of them. Hmm. Interesting. There's maybe something there. Trying to subliminally encourage people into vigilante violence or something. I don't know. Um. Yeah, yeah, it does seem like it's it's just it's prominent in the scene and it's always kind of drawn my eye but i'm not exactly sure how yeah that's interesting though about the guardian angels um so in in one scene like this pk flows into a taxi cab and the, the taxi the guy a guy jumps in a businessman enters the cab he says he wants to go to the columbia building and then you see like that the driver of the cab is this kind of zombie tales from the crypt looking creature in a in an earlier draft the businessman actually wants to go to the gulf and western building which is now a trump international um there's also a deleted scene that never made it in the montage which is weird where a ghost um gets into the security atlantic bank and trust and starts molesting and sexually assaulting all the secretaries Ooh. Um, rate, yeah, yeah. Ramus says ghost sex is a is a classic supernatural phenomenon. So we thought it would be fun to have invisible ghosts molesting the typists, tickling them, goosing them, and ripping open their blouses. Uh, but in the end, it, it, there was yeah. a time, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't know yeah. about that. I guess I'm glad it didn't make the cut. I don't really know how that's yeah so that that was in there um meanwhile okay dana's looking out a window she's watching these pk streams come make their way again to her apartment um and she suddenly the wall explodes like in her kitchen i think where the refrigerator is and it opens up kind of this portal um to the rooftop um so in the spirit of reimagining ghostbusters there was one thing i wanted to say again about i know i keep talking about these drafts but i find like some of the weirdest stuff in, in these earlier drafts um rather in an earlier draft rather than making an aerial passage uptown the ghosts make their way by going into a deserted subway station and they kind of take over the subway. Um, this scene is revisited. Like they, they do this scene in the 2016, like lady ghostbusters movie. Um, the way it's described in the earlier draft uh, as the key master of, Lewis passes the subway entrance. He fails to notice an insidious vapor swirling into the ven ventilation grate that serve the platform for the uptown lines. Insidious vapors are were common enough in New York City uh, with bad air quality, but this was not air, and people start trampling each other to get out. Um, in Ghostbusters 2, they do make their way in also into the subway um so that 
makes me think of the experiments, the biological weapon experiments and LSD, the releasing of mm. LSD and other chemical agents into the subway as early as 1950. I know Al, Al Borelli writes about it. Um, they they released, yeah, and this apparently involved uh, George Hunter White, Bureau of Narcotics. Um, they did this in 1950 with LSD. Uh, and again in 1952, where a small amount of aerosol LSD is released into the subway car. But a lot of those records, of course, were destroyed by the CIA in 73. Um, <laughs> also yeah. in this... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, along the same lines, it kind of evokes the I mean, what would eventually be the uh, Japanese, was it sarin gas attack on the subway? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That happened in, what was that, like the 90s? And like, yeah, I, yep. I I know for sure through like talking with our buddy Tanner, on the Gulf Breeze 6 incident, like the, that like terrorist, counter-terrorist, like, the go- like the U.S. government was concerned about attacks on the subways, due to just the fact that it's a you know, well probably several reasons, and it's just like, just one of those like things that's always kind of like percolating where it's like, people are thinking about it, and just it's interesting. Yeah, it it also kind of reminds you of the. August 1951 incident in in the in France where the citizens like had a case of mass insanity hmm. probably and started hallucinating and um I guess 32 were hauled off to mental asylums for died and like Frank Olson and and his pals had been in France when this happened and did they just know, finally try out BZ or something 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 like this yeah so something and 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 you know like ghostbusters like what if that's what's going yeah what if that's what's going on um in 1979 uh it was cia's man more information about what the cia releasing stuff into the subway so um also the u.s army working in conjunction uh with them so so there's that okay now the ghostbusters are in jail because walter peck of the epa had them arrested um and they're sitting around a table looking at blueprints and um i'm gonna try to move this along um ray is studying these blueprints and he notes that the structural ironwork in dana's building is very strange and then egon says uh the structure of the roof cap uh, is he says exactly like telemetry the t- telemetry tracker NASA uses to identify dead pulsar pulsars in deep space. Um, <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, "Oh, no wonder Wendy's obsessed with this movie." <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. These are all the little things. Like I said, I always wanted to. I did always want to pick apart. Um, Ray adds that the the girders are are pure selenium selenium is an element used in superconductors and electronics nobody 
He says, nobody ever made buildings like this. That's when Egon gives us more exposition. He says, well, Ray says the architect was either a certified genius or an authentic wacko. Uh, or Egon saying this, I think the whole building is a huge, super conductive antenna designed for the express purpose of pulling in and concentrating spiritual turbulence. And then they say uh, Dana lives in Spook Central, in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. And Egon says something terrible is about to happen and enter something terrible is about to enter the world and it's going to happen from this building. Um I won't get into pulsar what pulsars are, but um, yeah. So Egon also explains the architect of the building. It was named Evo Shandor. Um, he was a doctor who per he was not only an architect. He was a doctor who performed a lot of unnecessary surgeries. Uh, after World War Two, or I'm sorry, after World War One, he decided that society was too sick to survive. And in 1920, he founded a secret society of Gozer worshippers, the cult of Gozar. By the time Shandor dies, he ha the cult has close to a thousand followers. The cult of Gozer conducted bizarre rituals on the roof intended to bring about the end of the world. Um, and Egon says, and now it looks like it'll actually happen. In an earlier draft, uh, it says that uh, Evo Shandor was actually electrocuted at Sing Sing um, after his attempted abduction of a teenage girl led police to his penthouse apartment, which which had stacks of human bones in it. Um, so, mm. so Shandor was also apparently conducting probably human sacrifices. Yeah, like all of this reminds me very much of, well, several things, right? But like it reminds me of a lot of the work that my buddy, our buddy Recluse has done on Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh. The, the architect who uh, basically had connections to occult groups and like, I'm not doing it justice. Like I recommend people just go find that on his podcast, but like, this is like nuts. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. I wish I, I wish I had come across that. Yeah, I wish I could remember more of it. Do you remember anything, Reed? Uh, no, I was I was just going to point out. Um, we've kind of moved past this, but the um, the way that um, the 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 uh, the uh, Egon describes the building as like a, 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 a like a generator for for spiritual energy or uh, uh, summoning ghosts. That's basically the. Um, part of the thesis of one of the belief systems discussed in the Stargate conspiracy. And it's popular becoming popular again nowadays um, about the, the purpose of like pyramid architecture um, okay. yeah, like in general. Um, so uh, that's not just like a movie, like um, sci-fi idea or something that, that they cooked up. That's, that's very much a deeply um, occult uh, uh, established idea about what, um, what's the term uh, sacred geometry uh, can do um, mm. if you, you build it big enough and with uh, with the right materials um, that in conjunction with with a, a cult by a doctor who's performing unnecessary medical procedures that's weird phrasing for what yeah, yeah. sound like straight up um, probably child sacrifices uh, specifically 
It's bad stuff. Um, good. I'm glad you brought the the Stargate stuff up. Uh, yeah. Yep. And of course, again, probably something Akurate would be familiar with. Um, so Lewis Vince shows up and, and goes to Dana Zool's apartment, and uh, there's a, like a gaping hole where the wall was. Um, he introduces himself as the key master. She replies, "She's the gatekeeper." Um, they start to kiss, which is uh, the summoning. It's it's the beginning of a summoning ritual for Gozer, which um, there's some sex stuff going on there, which I'll just get to at the end. Um, but there's what you see is a hole in the wall, and there's stairs leading up again to the, the temple of Gozer on the roof. The um, Ghostbusters are in jail, and the, and the guy comes in. He says the mayor wants to see you because the city's going crazy. So. They take the Ghostbusters out of out of jail and uh, bring them to the mayor of New York City's office. And there's a map with several points pinpointed where basically supernatural occurrences are happening all over the city. At this point, and Peck is in the meeting, too. And Peck says the Ghostbusters are consummate snowball artists. They use sensitive nerve gases to induce hallucinations to make people think they're seeing ghosts. And then call the Ghostbusters. You show up to deal with the problem with a fake electric light show. Um, in an earlier mm. draft, yeah, he actually Peck actually says, and the nerve gases are probably stolen from military bases. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and in the mayor, and also in the earlier draft, the mayor asks. Are you using nerve gas on people? And Egon says, we, we wouldn't steal nerve gas. We'd make our own. So I, okay. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, and the police commissioner is there. He's like, the walls in the 53rd precinct are bleeding. The uh, archbishop is there and he's friends with the mayor. He says, like, the church can't take an official position on this. Uh, but we've had to hire a lot more priests recently. So in his opinion, it's a sign from God, but don't, don't quote me on that. So I guess, you know, the whole Ghostbusters is also good for the, the church business, the business of the church. Um, Peter tells the mayor, you can either believe Peck or you can accept the fact that the city's heading towards disaster of biblical proportions. Um, fire and brimstone coming from the skies, rivers and seas boiling, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, grave human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. The mayor says, get Peck out of the office. He ends up believing the Ghostbusters. Basically, Peter convinces him, like, look, uh, it's going to be good for your your vote, your your next election. You'll have a lot of voters if you if you do this the right way, if you play this right. Um, mayor orders Peck out, says, what do you need from me? So this apparently they declare martial law because now the National Guard uh, is like out in full force. There's military vehicles parked along the sidewalks, um, a guard a National Guardsman gets out and yells, get the lead out. Like, I don't know, maybe he assumed he was going to shoot ghosts. Um, there's like agents in suits, you know, talking in, in walkie-talkies, the National Guardsman again. Um, 
So this is happening. Strange dark cloud appears in the sky above what we can now call the Shandor building, Dana's apartment building. Um, there's you see nuns, you see like people of almost every religion or many religions, anyways. Yeah, the Hasidim are there. Yeah, they're there's they're praying, nuns are clutching rosary beads, there's priests. I don't see any Mormons. That's because we lurk among you. Is there a, a <laughs> apocalyptic is there an apocalyptic like uh mythos in Mormonism? Oh, absolutely. It is basically like all the Christianity yeah. stuff plus some extra stuff, yeah. Um well <laughs> I guess I guess they were probably like out proselytizing that at that moment <laughs> that day. Um there, there's groups holding up signs saying things like repent the end is near repent and believe repent so interestingly one time i went to the hilkamora pageant once and there were oh, like a tr baptists i assume they were they had to be baptists with like this bible truck and they were all holding up basically the same signs and protesting the mormons um which was awkward uh, yeah, those guys are fucking weirdos. Like they're like one notch below Westboro Baptists. They're like spooky weird fuckers. <laughs> Have you encountered them before? Oh yeah, because they'll just post up like they'll travel. They get paid by like oh <laughs> like shadowy Baptist groups to basically like do this prof do that professionally. It's oh. it's it's a weird little click. Um, oh, well, they may have been there too, <laughs> <laughs> protesting the, the ghosts, I guess. Um, uh, let's see. So the Ghostbusters assemble in front of the building. Lightning strikes the building. Darkness blots out the sun. Pieces of the building start falling off. And this scene scared the crap out of me as a kid and i think i had dreams about it for years and years afterwards um probably yeah up into adulthood where the street just opens up like cracks and cars fall into it the ghostbusters fall into this hole uh when this the street opens up but they get out crowd cheers they go into the shandor building they reach the 22nd which is the floor that dana lives on and in the portal, you can see this like stone stairway leading up to the roof. Um, as the Ghostbusters are climbing, I guess, the stairway, Dana and Lewis are on the roof. They're standing on pedestals symmetrically. Um, lightning again strikes the top of the tower, which is going to be interesting imagery, which I'll, I'll talk quickly about that in a second but they raise their arms and lightning passes through them through forming this kind of like energy pyramid and these huge temple doors open um and bright white light bursts out of it it kind of looks maybe like ufo how ufos might be mm -hmm. portrayed uh they Ghostbusters arrive just in time to see Dana and Lewis transmortifying, turning in back into the actual physical terror dogs instead of their human shape. And they take their 
places a, a pedestal inside this temple. Um, yeah, real quick too. I think, I don't know if we mentioned, but I think when they arrived, they did, didn't they get off the elevator at floor 22? Yes, yep, they get off at 22. That's some number magic. Did you already yep. say that? Well, I, I mentioned 22. It is like in my notes, but if you want to talk about it. Oh, it's just supposed to be a magic number. I don't, I'm not like a numerology guy per se. When we, I guess when we, I don't want to mm. lose the place in my notes, but I do, I do mention it because it's, it's 22 was like always a favorite number of mine just for, and then mm. I didn't really realize it had all these like esoteric uh, significances until this. Um, but yeah, the temple doors open. They're kind of iridescent metal, probably selenium. Uh, they open to reveal another set of stairways leading to an entrance in, a, here you go, read, a large pyramid. And at the top of the pyramid where the capstone should be is just this, like, ball of light. Um, Ghostbusters are at the foot of the temple at the stairs, at the base of the pyramid, um, there's a lot of symmetrical architecture and imagery going on here. There's two pillars. Um, inside this weird pyramid structure, for a second, it looks like there's like a flash, what looks to me like eyes. Um, so Gozer emerges from this pyramid in the pre-chosen form, uh, which in this case is kind of androgynous, but basically like a, a form of a woman. It's plate played by a woman um yeah i almost like when i first watched it i think as a kid i just thought that like zool and gozer were like the same or something you know it's yeah yeah it's kind of a convoluted uh story yeah about how they relate to each other yeah but gozer yeah zool is like the underling of gozer uh I'm I am getting through this. I swear we're gonna be done with this soon. Ray. <laughs> so good. Ray then approaches now invested with the authority of the city. Um he says, Gozer the Gozerian, good evening. As a duly represent a duly designated representative of the city, county, and state of New York, I order you to cease any and all <laughs> supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or the next convenient parallel dimension. At which point goes or responds by asking Ray, are you a god? And, and Peter's just like <laughs> nodding, like say yes, but Ray is pretty honest. You know, he says no. And Gozer says, well, die, and like fires lightning <laughs> from its fingertips and almost knocks them off the building. Uh, Winston says, you know, if someone next time someone asks you if you're a god, just say yes. Um Peter says they're going to show this prehistoric bitch how they do things downtown. They get out their, their particle throwers. They aim at Gozer and they fire. Um, Gozer just kind of like somersaults around and then vanishes. Ray thinks, because Gozer has vanished, Ray is happy. He thinks that they, uh, they neutronized it, a complete particle reversal. I don't know. Um, but Egon's like looking at his equipment. He's like, no, no, it's still pretty bad. Uh, an earthquake suddenly rocks the temple and debris 
is falling off of the building, which is going to kind of be important in a second. A disembodied voice of Gozer says, subcreatures, um, choose, choose, choose and perish. Choose the form of the destructor. And Peter has to explain is like whatever we think of, if we think of he's J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover will appear and destroy us. So they try to empty and clear their heads. And but it's like of, Hoover of all people. Okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, of course it has to, which <laughs> um I I guess I it would be more fun if he appeared instead of the marshmallow guy, but um but yeah, all they they're supposed to be clearing their heads and not thinking of anything, which is very hard to do. Gozer says the choice has been made and they're trying and they're like, I didn't think of anything. I didn't think of anything. And Ray's like, uh, and he's about to explain it, what happened when all of a sudden this marshmallow man over a hundred feet tall marches past buildings, uh, like it's basically destroying the city, stepping on, stepping on buildings. Um, and Ray's like, well, I just tried to think of the most harmless thing. And Egon says, I, he is terrified beyond the capacity for rational thought. Um, Marshmallow Man, uh, he's called the Stay Puffed, Mar Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. He steps on a church, which appears to make Peter mad. Um, stepping on police cars in the filming in the they used um toy like like matchbox cars uh for the scene but like they uh one model maker made a police car with a a line of cocaine on the dashboard but and there was like also the uh occupants so in the model where the marshmallow man is walking all through buildings they also put kind of easter eggs in there you can't see it visually but inside these little sets um they they basically put um agents and people from hollywood they didn't like so it was like the marshmallow man was symbolically destroying them um Egon, at this point, has a radical idea. He says, the doors swing both ways. If we cross the streams, we could reverse the particle flow through the dimensional gate from, from which Gozer emerged. And Peter's like, well, didn't you say we shouldn't do that? And Egon's like, well, there's a slim chance we'll survive. They're kind of out of options at this point. So they decide to cross the streams. Uh, they do that. Their streams cross. It turns into one huge blazing uh, stream, blasts right through this pyramid temple, it, and triggers an explosion. Uh, the Stay Puffed, so Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man is, if if it's not clear, um, a manifestation of Gozer. So Gozer can be take any form Gozer feels like, and so was nice enough to give them the choice. So Stay Puffed is not a separate entity. It also is Gozer. Um, but they they cross the streams and Gozer is banished back to its dimension. Clo basically, the gateway, at least for now, has been closed. The gateway in Spook Central has been closed. The sky clears. Uh, the terror dogs, um, which... Dana is in this 
now concrete dog and so is Lewis. It makes a lot more sense, I think, visually than me explaining it, but um they kind of bust out, Dana busts out of the this uh cement encasing of this terror dog. Lewis busts out. However, for a little while there's like a couple seconds where he's wandering around with still the dog head on. He's like kind of fumbling around with a dog head on. Um and Egon wants to get a sample of his brain tissue. Uh, Ray tells Lewis, you are very fortunate. You were just a participant in the biggest interdimensional cross rip since the Tunguska blast of 1909. Are either of you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen those memes that are like joking about how like <laughs> every guy is... <laughs> Has a private theory about the Tunguska blast. <laughs> I haven't, but it's... yeah, no, it's like, um, I mean, I don't even know. It's just a mysterious blast that happened. What, like, before World War Two? I mean, like, it's nineteen oh eight years before. Yeah, like, I don't even really know what to think of it. Reed, what's your? You got any details on that? So I um. I'm of two minds. Um, one is that the conventional, um, you know, uh, scientific explanation that it was basically uh, the airburst explosion of um, a meteorite as it was going through the atmosphere. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not a physics guy. It, it, it seems like it makes sense. That being said, uh, I think there's compelling arguments to be made that the uh, known history of uh technology uh has been whitewashed in some pretty substantial ways uh and uh who knows maybe it was a uh test of um some kind of uh, uh early prototype harp style radio wave weapon um you know i'm not putting those two things on on the same level of plausibility uh, uh i think there are questions to be asked um about uh, uh, uh what exactly went down um in in siberia uh, that year um uh, but it's um often claimed as like a, oh, that's a, a crashed UFO, um, or it was a, you know, um, the aliens were doing a preemptive strike on, on some czarist like a center or something. Um, but, um, it's, it's certainly something that Dan Aykroyd has spent probably a very, very, very large amount of time, uh, thinking about and trying to do Ouija board shit about. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Like I, I had never, somehow I had just never heard of this this event until researching uh for this for this but um yeah like yeah it's been explained like you said in different ways i guess in 1974 two physicists from ut austin proposed like it could be a microscopic black hole that hit i don't understand this that hit the earth so somehow a black hole crashed i got and then in the uf like you said beliefs that it was aliens uh x-files had a 1996 episode called tunguska and Mulder goes there and, and of course discovers fragments from the impact site um that contain the black oil um mm. so, so i yeah. have a i have a buddy or two who believe that it was like uh that they just developed nukes earlier than is commonly believed so similar to what reed said i i don't know i mean i have spent 
not a lot of time looking at it myself so i'm not really committing to any particular beyond like yeah it seems like maybe an asteroid or something it's interesting that you say that because in an earlier draft that tunguska appears like earlier in the movie like a mention hmm. of it and and egon says like sounds like the soviets are testing nukes so, Which is crazy because didn't it happen before 1917? It was you said 1908. Yeah, so, 08. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't maybe, even make sense. Maybe, maybe the Soviets appeared before. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's why they cut it out. I right, um, or maybe that's why Dan Aykroyd actually, who knows what he thinks. Um, <laughs> if that's, I mean, the the timeline in which the um the Bolsheviks had a secret. Manhattan Project style initiative, and they developed the bomb in 1908. That's an interesting timeline. I would like that one. That would be very fun. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. Moving on real quick. Uh, there's a the day you know once they destroy Gozer, the day comes back. Like the sun returns, the crowds are cheering. Priests are out there performing the signs of the cross. A Hare Krishna man is dancing. Interestingly, the guy that plays the Hare Krishna is, was a man by name Stephen Friedland, who had a recording, music recording, had a music career in the 60s under the band name Brute Force, who were, he was like really tied in with the Beatles somehow. Um, I don't know, he plays the Hare Krishna guy. <laughs> In Ghostbusters, um, the uh, that's when the the movie ends. The final credits roll. Uh, in an earlier draft, actually, the movie ended uh, with a scene of a towering glass <laughs> um, skyscraper, which was the headquarters of Ghostbusters International, now a high rolling multinational corporation, recognized everywhere as the first line of defense against interdimensional trespassers. Um, I saved some of the symbology stuff uh, that that just happened in the in the battle with Gozer, so I'll just touch on a couple of things. Some of which you guys thankfully brought up. Um, so, first of all, that they spent a lot of money. The set for the Gozer Temple was cost about a million dollars. It was the biggest indoor set ever built in Hollywood, um, which you know, they were for a movie, they really weren't sure if it's gonna work out or not. Like they, they definitely spent a lot of money and uh and and thought into designing this temple. Um and as you mentioned, the Stargate conspiracy, it outlines the idea traced in part to Freemasonry and theosophy of Anubis, the dog headed god, you know, pyramids of Egypt and their relationship to Mars and the opening of this stargate of uh, which i did read the book pretty fast it, it might so i am to understand that the stargate is going to allow like alien gods to come through or yeah that's that, that's more or less the idea um the, the alien gods being um the uh the the infamous um the nine um which um uh, uh what's the um the the Enneac, um yeah Puharich uh, was was involved with um, in in channeling and and convincing everybody um, 
that was claiming, you know, uh, to have psychic powers that uh, that uh, the, the nine were the source of their psychic powers. Um, so very interesting. You mentioned um, earlier that in uh, the the initial early draft of the script that uh, Dan Aykroyd's character says that uh, they're being possessed by interdimensional aliens. Um, right. So we're in parallel there between what uh, uh, the earlier drafts of the movie are saying and what um, Andrea Puharich was hypnotizing Yuri Geller and a bunch of, um, you know, uh, gifted kids uh, that uh, they were experiencing as well. It's all also extremely related to Peter Lavenda, Simon Necronomicon's theory that demons are aliens and that aliens are demons. Yeah, that's actually I uh had I was raised Baptist and that was one thing they said, like, yeah, there's no aliens, they're actually demons. Um mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I left, I left the church, you know, I'm just saying like, that was how they, they also explained it. Um, uh, I was looking like, like, what's this Evo Shandor? And actually before I forget, it would, I didn't, I don't know why, but I, I wonder who consulted, like, you know, if there were consultants that act that that consulted on Ghostbusters and the in either the making of this temple or, or really anything like were some of the parapsychologists were any parapsychologists consultants on Ghostbusters is something I stupidly mm. didn't didn't look up. Um Evo Shandor Shandor uh Anton LaVey's assumed middle name Sandor, Shandor, uh, he all he himself wrote about architecture and um, how buildings, sites of disturbed behavior, like haunted houses or uh, where there's like an unease presence. Um, he he's wrote about this in the early 1980s before Ghostbusters, when the CIA was like reviewing all of the parasite literature during the stargate program um they were interested in one paper that dealt with the physical parameters of buildings and their relationship to these um, psychic disturbances uh the timing of ego evo (laughs) i keep calling him egon evo where evo forms a cult to worship the Sumerian demigod it's like in the 1910s and 20s also that's when there is all these archaeological discoveries from like Babylon and uh, surrounding sites and that's when like the word decipher appeared frequently in the headlines um, and and uh, J.P. Morgan in 1910 uh, donates basically a hundred thousand in steel stock to Yale to set up a professorship in Assyriology um, to study ancient Mesopotamia and neighboring cultures. Of course, Evo Shandor stands in possibly also as the great architect, uh, which we mm. we know from Freemasonry, um, <laughs> which that poster in the background, if indeed 
that is Hermes Trismegistus. Um, yeah, there's some relationship there with the great architect. I'm I'm blanking out, and my notes are not clear, but uh, Ledbetter. Well, I was going to bring up Ledbetter. He he talks about Toth and uh, the public workings of these mysteries with in the Great Pyramid, um, the Egyptian god, Ta, was the master architect of the universe. Um, Aeon's like, the chief smelter, yeah, a metallurgist. Yeah, the metallurgy. Like, it does occur to me that there is something, like, Gnostic about the fact that, like, this whole plot was set in motion by, like, an evil architect, right? <laughs> and so it's like, okay, like, this is very much like putting the viewer and the Ghostbusters from the perspective of like basically like being Gnostic and trying to like work through this plot set in motion by like this architect who would be like the demiurge in you know their from their perspective like yeah does that make sense like it it sounds yeah. a little schizo but like from Ackroyd and Ramus's perspective, I guess. Right, right. You're not purporting, like, yeah, but this, you could see that being an element in the in the creating of this, uh, which you're going to go into into them a little bit. That might make more sense once you do that, um, because I, I don't know, maybe most. In fact, I had a bit of an argument with somebody I ran into. Well, not an argument, but just kind of like. They they think they know everything about movies, and I'm like, yeah, I'm preparing for this Ghostbusters thing. Dan Aykroyd, yeah, he was like really into all this weird stuff, and he's like, no, he wasn't. We had to have like this debate. It's actually very commonly known in Aykroyd's association, but I guess some movie buffs are not aware of that. Um, yeah, because like even, I was even talking to one of my normie buddies who was like, oh yeah, isn't he like a ufo like <laughs> ghost guy <laughs> yeah obviously so yeah the idea of the gatekeeper key master you know, this relates to like liminal de deities that preside over thresholds gates doorways interestingly a lot of times they are associated with with dogs and uh like dog-headed greek was multi-headed dog the guards the gates of the underworlds and of course there's anubis also associated with keys um, I came across this like really dorky Reddit argument about Ghostbusters between these super Ghostbuster fans, and it's whether or not Dana and Lewis had sex when they were possessed. But I like, actually wrote that down in my notes. I was like, did they <laughs> do it? So, like, there's a yeah, this whole argument between these these people, and um, and actually in the draft, um. It, it turns out that, yes, that is true. So the way it's described... Oh, so you have uh, Ghostbusters. They get to the 22nd floor. It says, Vince and Zool in the bodies of Lewis and Dana had accomplished the joining. They call it the joining. All of the sacred conjunctions had arrived. The focus the preparation for the traveler for gozer was complete so basically they had to they they had to screw to help gozer yeah and that, so, yeah like my read on that is very much like this is in keeping with 
all of the ceremonial magic which is in the background of this movie like i think that is like for sure the right reading totally um the uh the destroyer that kind of harkens back to Ilster Crowley. So when I kept mentioning the the lightning striking and the like pieces of the building falling off, the reason I did that is because in the in the tarot, there's one of the you know one of the major cards is the card of the tower. And usually it is depicted as lightning hitting the top of the building, or like uh two figures kind of falling off it with debris falling off it as well. And it's it's really and there's in some decks there's it's surrounded the people falling out of the building are surrounded by 22 flames and as you mentioned dana lives on the mm. 22nd floor um a, apparently 22 and who knows i'm not i just got this online 22 an extremely powerful number representing the master builder who can harness cosmic forces and use them to shape the material world um the number serves as a bridge between the earthly and the spiritual realms it is also um the tower card is also associated with the planet mars which again goes back to the stargate um i think i don't think i need to totally go into all the symbology of this temple but um it 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 definitely has a, you know the two pillars um it has a lot of it appears to be a, to have a lot of freemasonic sim- symbology in it and and theos- possibly theosophical symbology other the couple little commentaries parapolitical type commentaries that have been put forth about ghost Busters, of which I think there are three, two of which are like just about a couple paragraphs. Um, they all do point out the symbology of the Freemasonic symbology of the temple. And uh ultimately what what saves everything is the crossing of the, the streams, the re- which results in the reversal of space-time and how you and how you close this gateway. Um, so in a sense, the message, a message of Ghostbusters is that advanced technology uh, is kind of indistinguishable from from magic and that hidden, I'm quoting from this, I don't remember the source, I have to look at it, but hidden tech, the opening of spiritual planes, the triumph of man through science, uh, when Gozer asks, are you a god? The alchemical Promethean reply is, I will be. And that concludes <laughs> the plot of Ghostbusters. Hmm. Very nice. An old cowboy went riding out one dark and windy day Upon a ridge he rested as he went along his way When all at once a mighty herd of red-eyed cows he saw Plowing through the ragged skies And up a cloudy draw Their brands were still on fire and their hooves were made of steel 
their horns were black and shiny and their hot breath he could feel. A bolt of fear went through him as they thundered through the sky. For he saw the riders coming hard and he heard their mournful cry. Their eyes were blurred, their shirts all soaked with sweat He's riding hard to catch that herd But he ain't caught them yet Cause they've got to ride forever On that range up in the sky All the horses snorting fire As they ride on, hear their cry Riders looked on by him, he heard one call his name. If you want to save your soul from hell riding on our range, then cowboy, change your ways. They are with us, you will ride, trying to catch the devil's herd across these endless skies. Yippee, I Rider. 